last few weeks we've been looking at things that Christians need to do. And today I want to talk to you about that every Christian needs to pray. Jesus taught his disciples how to pray. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gave us a, a model prayer. That is, Jesus showed us how to pray. And if you're going to learn how to pray, there's really no better source than to listen to the prayer of Jesus and learn from the way in which he prayed. You know, when you think about prayer, I think it's one of the most underutilized resources in most Christians' lives. We have complete unhindered access to God. If your prayer before God is hindered, it's, it's your own fault. All we have to do is confess our sin before God and believe and trust in Him, and we come into a right relationship where we can just speak openly with God and we can have unlimited access to Him. When I, was in, when I was in college, we went on a trip to, to uh, Washington, and this was before 9-11, so things were a little more open than they are today. But during that trip, we got to go to the White House, and we saw many uh, areas. Uh, it's a long story how we got access, but, but anyway, we got to go to the Oval Office and Situations Room and things that often you wouldn't get to see. And it's pretty amazing. It is, I, I was aware when I was there, this is probably once-in-a-lifetime deal, probably never see this again. And you see those kind of places, it's kind of a... It's a little bit, it's a little bit awe-inspiring to, to see that place and know the significance of it for our country and for our government. But you see, you and I, you and I, every second of our Christian life are in a place that's far more awe-inspiring than that, that office, that situation room, that press room, because you and I have access to the King of Kings and to the Lord of Lords. He's not going to rotate out. He's not going to get beat out in an election. He's not going to grow old and die. He's not going to be the subject of scandal. And we can talk to him anytime that we desire. And so Jesus gave us a model of how we can pray. You know, one of the things that I've observed about prayer is that even if we're committed to it, if we're not careful as believers, we slide into one mode of prayer. And that one mode is asking for things. And that, that is part of prayer. But that's just one part of prayer. And if we're not careful, I've observed listening to people pray and, and looking at my own prayer and being honest to myself. If we're not careful, our prayer life can simply become a laundry list of things that we go before God and ask Him for. Prayer is so much more than just asking God for things. It's a time of fellowship. It's a time of beautiful relationship. It's a time for us to honor Him and to praise Him. It's a time for us to give thanks. And Jesus modeled for us in His prayer that's recorded in the Sermon on the Mount about how we should go before God and how we should pray. So Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 9, is where we'll be at today. I want to ask you, would you join me in standing just out of reverence and honor for God's word as we read this together. Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 9, here's what the Bible says. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive their trespasses, neither 
will your Father forgive your trespasses? Let's pray together. Father, we come before you today in awe of who you are. We come before you giving thanks for the salvation that you provided for us in Christ Jesus. And Lord, we ask now that you'd help us to be honest and open before you. Examine our hearts as we read your word. And Lord, may we learn from Jesus how to pray. For it's in his name that we pray now. Amen. You may be seated. Well, one of the things that Jesus taught us is that we need to pray to our heavenly Father. Not just to our Father, but to our heavenly Father. Notice what Jesus says in that very first verse we read. He says, pray then like this. Now, notice the word like. He doesn't say pray this. He says pray like this. And so while it's, I think, perfectly okay to pray the Lord's Prayer, His purpose was to give us a model that we are to follow. So we're to pray like this. And he says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. One of the things that Jesus shows us is that in our relationship to God, there's a balance between intimacy and reverence. And so he's our Father, but he's our Father who is in heaven. And being in heaven doesn't refer to his location, but it refers to his status, for God is everywhere. But when we pray to him, we pray to him, as our Father, because we have become sons and daughters of God, having believed and become heirs of the promise. But at the same time, we still speak to a holy and righteous God. So there's a balance between intimacy with God and reverence for Him. In John chapter 20, verse 17, listen to what Jesus said. Now, Jesus had risen from the dead, and, and He had encountered Mary Magdalene. He's speaking with her, and this is what He says to Mary. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to, listen to what he says, my Father and your Father, my God and your God. There's that beautiful balance. He's our Father, but he is still God. Father and God. We pray to our Father in heaven. So when we come before God, it's okay to come for Him with familiarity. My oldest daughter, I don't know where she, where she got this or if it's her own thing, but she would pray and she would say, hey, God. And she did that at, at, at school several times publicly with their chaplain over there, and different people heard her do that. And, and I remember uh, many, many people talked to me about that. And balance with reverence, it's, it's okay because... He is our Father. It's okay to be personal and talk to Him. It's okay to know Him in an intimate way. As long as we understand that He is also the God and Creator of the universe. Your God is worthy of all of our reverence. In London, there's the uh, Westminster Abbey. And, and uh, this seems strange to us because we would never do this in America. But there, there are many people that are buried in the floor of the church. And so people that have great significance and, and the church wants to honor are buried there in the floor of the church. And so when people gather for worship, but without even thinking about it, they just, they just walk all over the tombs. Except for one. There's one tomb that nobody steps on. In fact, when the Queen of England was coronated, 
she walked around it as she went in. That's the tomb of the unknown soldier. I don't know if you've ever been to Arlington or not, but at Arlington, we have the tomb of the unknown soldier. And if you've ever gotten to go and see it, there's this very uh, extravagant ceremony of the changing of the guard. And uh, if you ever go and see it, it's kind of awe-inspiring. And everybody's asked to be quiet the whole time. If you begin to talk in a normal voice, the guards will stop and they will call you out. And that whole ceremony is designed just like in London where they don't step on the tomb of the unknown soldier. It's designed to show reverence and honor. I, I think it's very fitting for us to give honor to people that have given their life in service to this country. It's, it's very fitting and appropriate. And when I think about people that went off to war and their bodies were never recovered, or when they were recovered, they were so mangled and maimed that we couldn't identify them, they deserve our respect. But friend, I want you to understand, as much as those people may deserve our respect, God deserves so much more. You see, they may have given their life for our country, but God gave his son for our salvation. And when we speak to God, we speak to the God that has such power that he spoke and the world came into existence. We speak to a God that has so much compassion that before the foundation of the world was laid, God looked down through history and he saw your darkest, nastiest moment of life and he loved you anyway. We serve a God that has so much love that he sent his own son to die to justify wrath so that you and I might be saved. And when we speak to him, he deserves all the honor and all the reverence that we can give to him. And so Jesus taught us to pray like this, our Father in heaven. Well, Jesus, Jesus modeled what he taught. The second part of that verse 9, he says, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. In John chapter 12, the Bible tells us about Jesus beginning to think about the crucifixion. For Jesus knew all things and he knew what was coming. He understood the physical torture. He understood the emotional anguish. And he understood bearing the wrath of God. Jesus knew what was to come. And he was not excited about what lied ahead, but he was faithful and obedient. John chapter 12, verses 27 through 28, listen to what it says. Jesus said, now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. That's the prayer that Jesus says. Should I pray this? Should I ask God to deliver me from the crucifixion? He says, should I pray this? And then he says, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. So listen to what he prays. Father, glorify your name. And the Bible says that a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And Jesus himself prayed that even in the most difficult moments that lied ahead for him, that God would be glorified. 
And so when we come before God, we come before him with an attitude of reverence and we have a desire to give him glory. You know, it's hard to pray for God's name to be hallowed when you take it in vain as a way of life. It's one of the things that I hear just, just prevalent in our culture. In fact, it's so prevalent that most people never think about it, never give a conscious thought or understand what they're doing. It's just commonplace language for people to use God's name in vain. You'll hear it on television. You'll see it on social media. You'll hear your friends do it. I hear it, I hear it all over town. Everywhere I go, people taking the Lord's name in vain. That, by the way, is one of the Ten Commandments. God only gave ten commandments in the Old Testament. And out of that ten, he devoted one to not taking his name in vain. This is how serious this issue is to God. And the word vain in the Old Testament Hebrew means empty, empty. So a lot of times you may think, well, Pastor, I would never say God and then put a curse word with it. But my friend, that's only one way in which you can take the Lord's name in vain. Anytime that you use God's name in an empty, frivolent way, it's taking his name in vain. And so today we have acronyms for it so we can text it fast. We have all kinds of variations so that we can say it without even thinking about what we're saying. And we just throw God's name around as slang, as just everyday common language. But Jesus taught us that we're to pray, and we're to pray to our Father, and we're to pray for his name to be hallowed, special, holy, not common. Friend, there's nothing common and ordinary about God. And so all of us need to really evaluate our language. And I'll give you a principle if you're not sure. If you say God, you should be either talking about him or talking to him. And if you're throwing it around in any other way, that's a form of taking God's name in vain. And so Jesus taught us that when we pray, we should pray to our Father. There's intimacy there. We can speak to Him because like a Father, He loves us and He has brought us into His family. But There's also reverence because He's our Father in heaven. And we seek for His name to be hallowed, to be exalted, to be glorified. He taught us to pray like this, hallowed be your name. We also need to seek the will of God in prayer. Notice what He says in verse 10. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So Jesus prayed, and he prayed that God's kingdom would come. Now, Jesus had inaugurated the kingdom of God, and you and I, we should seek it in prayer. Let, let me show you. Mark chapter 1, verse 14 through 15. This is Jesus beginning his ministry after John the Baptist has concluded his. And here's what it says. Now, after John was arrested, and that's John the Baptist, not John the Apostle. After John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. That means it's near. It's about to happen. He said, repent and believe in the gospel. The word gospel means good news, and that's what Jesus was proclaiming. 
And of course, you and I, we have more details to the good news, being on this side of the resurrection. But Jesus was proclaiming the good news that the kingdom was come. Now, the kingdom has not yet fully come. The Lord is going to consummate it one day. That is, he's going to bring it into its fullness. But Jesus has already inaugurated it so that you and I have the freedom and the opportunity to submit to the rule of God and to live in God's kingdom if we so choose. And so Jesus taught us that when we pray, we should pray seeking the kingdom of God. Your kingdom come. So that means that when I, when I look out in the world, and I know there's, there's probably a lot of things that, that frustrate you about the world today. Perhaps crime and violence and there's so many things. My, my wife works in the school system and so we get a kind of a, a, a personal and close view of the home life of a lot of young people. And there's so many children in our community that it's, it's pitiful what they go home to. And, and you may look at that with disgust. You may look at that with, with just anger and want to see God's wrath upon those people. But friend, that's, that's the heart of Jonah. The heart that God's calling us to is that we would live desiring to see God's kingdom come. That is, that our hope and desire would be just like God. That we would see those people submit themselves to the rule of God and become part of God's kingdom. That God's kingdom might be expanded upon this earth. Now the thing is about God's kingdom is it's all voluntary. You can't force it upon anybody. Unfortunately, we see times throughout church history where governments tried it and it doesn't work. Because you and I must make our own choice about whether we will serve God or not. And voluntarily, through surrender of the heart, we decide to give ourselves over to God and to submit to His rule in our life. And that's how we become part of the kingdom of God. And the reason that we're here today is to seek <clears throat> the expansion of God's kingdom as more people are influenced and led to give their life over to God. And so Jesus taught us that when we pray, we pray seeking the will of God and seeking the expansion of God's kingdom. So it says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Listen to what Mark chapter 9 verse 1 tells us. Jesus is here talking about the kingdom again and he says, And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. After it has come with power. Many people have thought that that verse meant that Jesus was going to return a second time. And since he didn't and they died, then they, they're confused about what this means. But, but Jesus had already inaugurated the kingdom. It had already started. And Jesus didn't say that he was going to return again before they died. He said that they would see the kingdom come in great power. And do you remember what happened on the day of Pentecost? They were filled with the Holy Spirit, as Jesus had promised. And he had told them, he said, stay here in Jerusalem until you receive power. And what did they receive? They received power. And throughout the book of Acts, we read over and over again about people being filled with the Holy Spirit. And you'll notice that after they were filled with the Holy Spirit, the results is always that they become a bold witness for Christ. You and I, we, we may have different personalities and some of us may be uh, shy or quiet or awkward and others may be bolsterous and and annoying 
And this has nothing to do with sharing the gospel. The power that provides us the boldness that we need to fearlessly and constantly proclaim the gospel. It doesn't come from our personality or from our personal ability. It comes from the indwelling spirit of God. And on the day of Pentecost, they received this power. And you and I, as we seek the kingdom of God, as Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come, we need to seek for this this power that Jesus talked about as part of the kingdom. Matthew 6.33, this is just a few verses after the Lord's model prayer here. Jesus taught, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. He taught us to seek first. That is, the kingdom of God is to be thy priority in our life. So Jesus modeled for us how to see God's will in prayer. Notice verse 42 of Luke chapter 22. This is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. He knows that he's about to be crucified, and he is agonizing over what's going to take place. And this is what he says. He says, Father... If you are willing, remove this cup from me. Jesus prayed and and he says, if there's some other way, I want the other way. But, listen to what he prayed. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus not only taught us to seek God's will in prayer, but he modeled for us submitting to God's will. Jesus made it clear that it was not his desire to be crucified, but it was his desire to submit and to be obedient to the Father. And so when his desires and the will of the Father conflicted, he said, Father, not my will, but yours be done. And when we go before God in prayer, we can ask for many things, but we need to go with an attitude that, that when what we desire and what God desires for us conflicts, that his will be done and not ours. And Jesus not only taught us this, but he showed us and he modeled it for us. The Bible also teaches us in this last part that we need to pray for obedience and submission on earth. The same, the same level of obedience, obedience and submission that God receives in heaven. Listen when he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know what it's like in heaven? God speaks and the angels respond. There's no rebellion in heaven. Satan once rebelled and he was thrown out of heaven. In heaven, God enjoys absolute, complete, perfect obedience and submission. And the Lord taught us that we're to pray for this level of obedience here. That we might come to the point in our life that just like the angels that are faithful and obedient, we might be faithful and obedient. And so we seek the kingdom of God. We pray according to God's will. And we pray, not not that just here, there, in a little bit, we would be somewhat faithful. But that the extent of our faithfulness and obedience would be to the extent as it is in heaven. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, Jesus also taught us that we need to pray expressing our dependence and trust in God. Notice what he says in verse 11. Give us this day our daily bread. 
So Jesus model for us, it's okay to ask God for the things that we need. In fact, he taught us to ask for the things that we need. It's just that that's not the all-encompassing aspect of prayer. That's just one aspect. And so we ask for God for things. You know, in the wilderness, when God brought the nation of Israel out of Egypt, he gave them manna. And the Bible says that he gave them manna. He gave them just enough for each day. In fact, he commanded them not to collect any more than they needed that day. And some of them did not listen. And on the second day, there was maggots. But on the day before the Sabbath, God told them to collect two days' worth because he didn't want them out working on the Sabbath. And on the Sabbath, two days later, it was fine. Because you see, God, the Bible says that God was testing them to see if they would believe and trust in him. He was also teaching them to be dependent upon him. And Jesus shows us the same thing. You see what he says? Give us this day our daily bread. We're not pray for it weeks in advance so that we can store it up and sit around and think everything's good, I have nothing to worry about. But we're to pray that this day God would give us what we, what we need. And so it's our daily bread that we pray for. And then notice we're to pray for our daily bread, not our daily cake. No promise about extravagance or luxury, but the promise that God will provide what we need. Jesus also taught us that we need to pray and ask for forgiveness. Verse 12 says, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. You see, all of us, we all sin against God. We're in the process of growing and as you mature in your faith, you should come to the point that you sin less and less. But none of us have yet reached perfection. We're, just, we're not there yet. And so there's always going to be times that we're going to have things that we need to confess before God. And if in pride and arrogance we say, I don't have anything to confess. I don't need to ask for forgiveness. Then we find ourselves in opposition to what God's word teaches about ourselves and we find ourselves isolated from God and his power because in order for God to answer our prayers we must come in honesty and humility confessing our sins first John 1 9 teaches us this it says if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness so when we come before God in prayer this is a time to, to glorify God, to seek his will. It's a time to ask for the things that we need. And, and God, God wants us to ask, not because he doesn't know what we need. But I believe God wants us to ask for things for the same reason that God wants us to confess our sins. You see, when you confess your sins to God, you're not informing God of anything. He knew what you did. He knows why you did it. He knows what you were thinking before, during, and after. In fact, he knew before you were born what you would do on that day. The purpose of confession is not to inform or educate God. He already knows. But we come in confession so that we can know that we've sinned. When we come in confession, we are saying the same thing about our sin that God says about our sin. And friends, I believe the reason that God wants us to come before him and ask 
for the things that we need is so that when he answers our prayers, we might realize that we are totally and utterly dependent upon him. And when he answers our prayers in completely unexpected ways, it bolsters our faith and enables him us to trust him more. And so Jesus taught us to ask, to ask for the things that we need. Give us this day our daily bread. And he taught us to come and confess our sin and ask for forgiveness. The Bible also teaches in this last part that we need to pray for God to deliver us from evil. Notice what he says in verse 13. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You know that the Bible makes it clear that God tests us, but he never tempts us. And, and I think one of the key differences there is motive. You see, Satan will tempt you because he wants you to fail. God will test you because he wants you to succeed. He wants you to come out on the other side of that test, recognizing that you persevered and God delivered you. And it builds us up in the faith. And so the Bible says in James chapter 1, verse 12 through 15, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. And so all of us face this. And so Jesus taught us that we should pray and we should ask God to deliver us from evil. And even though God never tempts us, we are tempted from without and tempted from within. And so we need to pray and ask God to lead us away from temptation. We need to ask God to give us the wisdom not to be places we don't need to be. Not to watch things that we don't need to watch. Not to talk about things that we don't need to talk about. That we would not be led into temptation you see God's word God's word is one of the things that gives us power to overcome temptation we talked about this last week as we talked about memorizing scripture so that we might not sin against God but prayer prayer also gives us the power so verse 13 says and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil friend I don't I don't know what your prayer life is like but if prayer is not a regular part of your daily life you are missing out you're missing out on fellowship with God you're missing out on the growth that takes place in our faith as we see God answer prayers you're missing out on the power to overcome temptation as we pray and seek God to lead us away from temptation and to deliver us from evil. So I want to encourage you today. Make prayer a part of your life. I, I pray several times a day. I pray first thing in the morning. I pray 
usually when I begin a new task in the day, I pray. When I begin working on a sermon, the first thing I do is pray and ask God to lead me to the right text. When I get to the, to the text, I believe where God would have me to preach, I pray and I ask God to help me understand it. As I begin to study it, I pray and I ask God to help me understand the things that I'm reading. And then as I begin to, to, to work on an outline, I pray that God will give me an outline. What are the key ideas and points that I'm to deliver to the people? And once <clears throat> I have an outline, then I pray and I ask God, God, help me fill out this outline that I might illustrate it and explain it and apply it so that people will understand it and be changed by it. And then when I get ready to preach on Sunday morning, I pray and I ask God for forgiveness. If I can think of any sin, I confess it as sin and I ask God to forgive me for it. And I pray and I ask God for the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Because I'm a good public speaker. I know that I am. And all I need to do to fail is to become arrogant and confident in my own ability and not seek the power of God. And that's why I pray. And I tell you all this just to give you one example of how prayer works in my life. And I encourage you to make prayer part of every aspect. Pray about how to raise your children. Pray about how to handle your money. Pray about how to behave at work. Pray and seek God. And let the things that Jesus taught us here in the model prayer, let it be things that we follow in our life and how we pray. When we come together to pray before God, we pray to the one that loves us. He wants to hear from us. He's our Father, but He's also in heaven. And so we come before Him in both intimacy and reverence. And when we come before God with this attitude, then we come before Him seeking that His name would be honored. We come seeking His kingdom to be expanded, His will to be done in our life. We desire that God's will be done to the extent that it is in heaven. And we go before God and we ask for the things that we need that day. We pray, Lord, give us this day our daily bread. We confess our sins. He already knows, so what do we have to lose? We have nothing to lose and everything to gain by being honest before God and seeking his forgiveness. And then we pray that God will give us the ability to overcome temptation. And friend, I hope. I hope this becomes part of your prayer life. And if it does, you'll just grow closer to the Lord and stronger in your faith. Let's pray together. Father, you're absolutely amazing to think that you love us and you want to hear us even when you know who we are and what we've done. God, we praise you for this. And Lord, I ask right now that in this moment, I pray that you speak to our hearts and that you convict us of sin. Father, I pray for every person that's here. I pray for every person that's watching and listening. If there's anything in our life that we need to confess to you as sin, God, give us the humility to be honest before you that we might be forgiven. Lord, give us the faith to bring our needs before you 
and to depend totally upon you to provide for them. And Lord, I pray that you'd use us. Use us to expand your kingdom at this time and in this place. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Before we close today and leave, we're going to sing a song. The purpose of this song is to give you an opportunity to respond to God. Maybe God has spoken to you through something that was said in this sermon. Or maybe God has spoken to you about something else. But friend, if God is speaking to you, would you please answer him? You see, God is a loving God. He's a merciful God. He's a gracious God. And that's why when Jesus died on the cross, the reason that God sent his son to die on the cross was so that you and I could have hope. You see, because of his grace, I, I can speak to a group of people here today and I look out and I see faces I've never seen. I see people I know nothing about you. But I know because of God's words, what God's word says, that God loves you. He wants to forgive you for everything you've ever done. He wants to give you a hope and a future. This is the invitation that he gives. But it's up to you whether you'll receive it or not. So I want to ask you today, if you've come to the point in your life that you believe this message about Jesus, would you pray right now? Just tell God that you believe and that you want to be forgiven and you want to be saved as the Bible promises. You can pray right there on your own. Or if you need somebody to pray with you, that's why I'll be standing right here at the front.